You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. History is not on the side of the Jets. And if I'm a fan, I absolutely cannot ignore why this draft could turn into a nightmare. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear hotline. Now, you know me. I'm a beacon of light. A beacon of light in a dark, dark world. And I love the draft because it's the time when everybody can rejoice and feel like there's positivity in the air. The draft is the time where no matter how bad your team has been, they're about to get better. The draft is the time where suddenly you make up all of the space you need to make up and you have a reason for hope. I understand that. And I understand why right now, as you're restarting a new era for the Jets with a new quarterback, there's more reason than ever to feel like that hope exists. But it doesn't. Realistically, it just doesn't. And history tells you why. All you got to do is go back and look in the past. Now, I understand that it's dangerous to look at past drafts and look at that as any indication of what we'll get. Every player is different. Every single year, the second overall pick has nothing to do with last year and the second overall pick. But sometimes history is so overwhelming, you can't ignore it. Look at the history of quarterbacks taken second overall in the NFL. Second overall in my lifetime. I'm 43. You guys know that. Mike Gullick Jr. always says I'm a sneaky vampire, right? I'm older than I look. Thank you, Mike. All right, you look back in my lifetime, and I will give you one name that has had tremendous success at some level as a pro quarterback. That would be Donovan McNabb, the second overall pick in 1999. Went to six Pro Bowls. We all know the history of Donovan McNabb. So I'll give you Donovan McNabb in my 43 years. Now let me give you some of the other names picked second overall at the quarterback position in my lifetime. Let's go recent. Mitchell Trubisky, how'd that work out? Carson Wentz, how'd that work out? Marcus Mariota, seeing a theme here? RG3, now we could say maybe RG3 had a little bit of success and injury derailed it. So we'll give you a beacon of tiny positivity in that. Maybe we'll say RG3 a little bit there. Keep going back. Ryan Leaf, how did that work out? Rick Meyer, are you seeing the trend? Quarterbacks pick second overall don't have success. Now, you can look at it and say, what are they supposed to do? The team needs a quarterback. There's an easy answer on what they're supposed to do. See, bad teams make the draft complicated. Good teams make the draft simple. The simple way to approach the draft is this. Take the best player available. Take the guy that can come in and help you right away. I was on record last year in different time slots telling you, hey, Chase Young. I would have taken Chase Young first overall. I can understand that Joe Burrow eventually won my heart, and you could say, okay, I would buy Joe Burrow. But Chase Young, right on that same level. Nick Bosa? Absolutely. The problem is when you start reaching at second overall because you're so desperate for some reason to have hope that you don't take the great player that's right there in front of you. You reach in the draft. You are done. When you draft wrong at the quarterback position, what do you do? You set your whole franchise back four or five years, right? You set your whole quarter, your whole franchise back because now you have to give that quarterback time to develop. You got to give weapons around him. You got to see who he is as a player. You got to go through that whole progression that we all know. And realistically, when it doesn't work, your coach is going to get fired. So now, new coach comes in, likely new GM, new quarterback, and you're starting the whole vicious cycle all over again. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Think about that if you're the Jets, because here's what's real with this year's NFL draft. Now, you guys know I'm risk-averse, so I like people that have proof of concept. But when I think proof of concept, look at some of the best players in this year's draft and ask yourself how much proof of concept there is. Panay Sewell, for example, offensive lineman, opted out last year, played for Oregon, 
absolute beast. He's the type of player that you will plug in day one and all the pundits will tell you he's going to come in and be epic from day one and have a great career. You never know. But if you feel like you're going to take a leveraged risk, that's a guy worth taking a leveraged risk on. Kyle Pitts. Oh, I love this. Generational. Like that's become our new triggered word. Generational. But he is. Nobody could cover him. Right? Kyle Pitts is the sort of guy that you turn around and say, wow, he's right there for the taking. Jamar Chase might be better than any of the wide receivers we've been talking about the last three years in the draft. There are epic players available. We'll get into in just a few minutes in the show on why that impacts more of the first round of the draft. But when you're talking about the second pick overall for the Jets, you got to be realistic about what is being expected. You have to be realistic about what you're doing with your franchise and how you're going to build. To that end, Rex Ryan, ESPN NFL analyst, was on Barton Hahn earlier, talked about exactly what the Jets would have to do around Wilson and what to expect. This is the second overall pick. Dude, he better be your starter or you got the wrong cat. So to me, he's going to be your starter, and that's good. That's fine. There's, there's ways of winning with rookie quarterbacks, albeit it's hard. It's not easy. Um, you know, we had the number one defensive league, but the year before, remember that Jet defense was 23rd in the league. So you brought in a guy that's supposed to be a great defensive coach. You can fix that. You put the rookie quarterback in, and you play to it. At the end of the day, he's got to be smart with the football and understand that you don't have to win the game yourself. Uh, you should have an outstanding defense there and, and uh, build accordingly. See, you can't be a savior is Rex's point, and he's right. We've seen that throughout the course of the league. We can have a total separate conversation, and we will over the next several months about Deshaun Watson, understandably, for very serious reasons. When you look solely at Deshaun Watson, the quarterback of the Houston Texans last year, how many games did he win? Why? Because he's on a trash roster. What does that have in common with the Jets? They're a bad roster, top to bottom. Sam Darnold has the opportunity to go somewhere else, may or may not be successful. But my point is that I don't care if you put Patrick Mahomes on the Jets. They're not going to win seven games. And if they won't win seven games with the best player in the NFL, what the heck chance do they have to win a bunch of games with Zach Wilson? Now, look, Zach Wilson, everybody's infatuated with. I understand it. I talked a lot last year to college football analysts working in that space, and I'll never forget E.J. Manuel telling me uh, off camera before we were doing a taping. He said, look, I've been watching Zach for a long time. You're talking about somebody that can deliver the ball from anywhere. He has great arm angles. He can absolutely, as they love to say, spin it. No matter where you're trying to, to, to force him to throw from, it's spectacular. But there are real questions about Zach Wilson. I mean, you're talking about somebody that saw a, an 11-point jump in his completion percentage last year. You're talking about somebody that went from, in his sophomore year, 11 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, to 33-3. and three. Yeah, that's a meteoric jump. And maybe he took this great leap as a transitional talent. But also, maybe, maybe he had one spectacular year. That's why, frankly, for me, if I was sitting there and I knew absolutely, because of ownership or because of everything else affecting me, I had to take a quarterback, I wouldn't take Zach Wilson second overall. I'd take Justin Fields. We have better proof of concept. I mean, yes, Justin Fields struggled a couple of times last year against good defenses. It was also a COVID year. Like I just said, if I'm going to look at Zach Wilson and say, how do I take this one year and give it any context? Can't I do the same thing with Justin Fields? And guess what? When you give Justin Fields context previous years, you see continued excellence. But Justin Fields is like Transformers when I was a kid. I had a bunch of Transformers. Mom got me a bunch of Transformers. After a while, I played with the Transformers over and over and over again. After a while, I decided Transformers stunk, right? Went out and got myself some G.I. Joe. 
about six months later, I came back and realized I was putting all the G.I. Joe away because Transformers were way cooler. I just got tired of the cool toy because I had so many of them and I was so used to it. That's where we are with Justin Fields. He's Transformers. He's Optimus Prime. I think Justin Fields has the chance to be a very good player. And I take nothing away from that. But I think the Jets have a responsibility when building a roster to ask themselves one important question. Not who can win me games at the quarterback position. They need to ask themselves what player in this draft makes my roster drastically better today. And if that answer isn't a quarterback, then for once, a team needs to have the guts at the second overall pick to take that player no matter what his position is. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo. We're just getting started because the draft drama really starts at four. I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you one team that's outsmarted everybody else in this draft conversation. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You're ready for the NFL draft. I think one team has outsmarted everybody, and it's clear that it's going to impact the top of the first round. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. If you're just tuning in over the course of the next 30 minutes, we're going to be joined by a couple of people that know a lot about national championships. So uh, college basketball fans, don't go anywhere. Got some greatness coming up for you over the course of the next 30 minutes. But right now, we're talking all things draft. By the way, can't reveal any secrets, but I will tell you, that if you're a draft fan, we have everything that you could possibly want covered with some huge star power on ESPN Radio, giving you all three days of the draft. And there'll be some digital shows as well. Fear not, uh, love or hate me, you're going to get plenty of me around the draft. So I'm fired up, uh, obviously, for all things happening uh, in Cleveland coming up. And part of that revolves around the beginning of the draft. Now, uh, we all know that the 49ers have traded up to three, and that raises a real conversation. We were just talking about the Jets and the fact that sitting at two, all speculation is they're going to take Zach Wilson. Personally, I would take Justin Fields. But a lot of people at this point have assumed that the 49ers have moved up to take Mac Jones. Now, for a second, let's not have a quarterback conversation. Let's have a, a roster-building conversation because this applies to everybody at the top of the draft. The 49ers have done it the right way. Like I said earlier, they were patient. They took a posa. Like, you got a shot at the beginning of the draft, you see a Bosa, you take a Bosa. That's the way that works, right? So they take Nick Bosa, and obviously, presuming he can stay healthy, that's going to pay dividends. But also, they've built their entire roster under the concept, as I was saying earlier, of let's make a great team. That's what they've done. They've created a great team that doesn't have a great quarterback. Now, now what do you do? Well, now you leverage and you move up in the draft. It makes a lot of sense. Because you're not in the Jet situation. You're not a dumpster fire roster looking for a savior. You're a really good roster looking for a quarterback that can develop into your guy. So, you take Mac Jones at three. I do believe, despite what many of my colleagues have said, you keep Jimmy G. You can afford it. You're going to keep Jimmy G. You're going to play Jimmy G for one year while you see who Mac Jones is. And you give yourself the chance right now to go out there and try and compete for a Super Bowl. And then, oh, by the way... You get out of the Jimmy G contract next year. Mac becomes your starter. And all of a sudden, you put yourself in a situation with a rookie contract, a quarterback, and a roster that's built really well. That's playing chess with the draft. Why? Because you spent so much time getting the best available players and so much time smart, signing smart free agents that you end up with the situation where you're not desperately reaching for the quarterback. You're just taking an aggressive risk on a quarterback when the rest of your roster looks like it's so good. That's a different situation. But then the real intrigue starts. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz 
The real intrigue starts at four. What are the Falcons going to do? The Falcons sit at four and have to make a couple of decisions. Now, they could stay right where they are, and they could take a quarterback. I just told you I think Justin Fields is the second-best quarterback in this draft. He may be sitting there for That might be worth it. Or you've got Matt Ryan still playing an incredibly high level. You put yourself in a situation where Matt gets a better weapon. That's what intrigues me for Atlanta. Jamar Chase, right? Kyle Pitts. I know we all think the Falcons never need offense, but my God, when you can add somebody like that, you add somebody like that. Or do the Falcons trade down? and take advantage of somebody that is going to overly uh, aggressively pay for a quarterback. That's why all of the entry really starts at four. And if you're the Broncos, the Patriots, the Bears, those are desperate teams. Now, I would argue, because we always give benefit of the doubt to the Patriots, that they'll find some way. Right, The Patriots will find a way just to make all of us angry and get up in the top of the draft, and they'll find a quarterback. They'll find Justin Fields, who will turn out to be the second-best quarterback in the draft, and we'll say, how did Bill outsmart us again? But I'd also argue that one of those teams that we just mentioned has to be more aggressive. That's the Broncos. Now, what were we just talking about? When you think about full roster construction, and you think about the Broncos particularly, man, they've got a lot of weapons. They've got a lot of weapons. There is one major question mark for the Broncos, and that's quarterback. Drew Locke isn't somebody that they paid enough for that they suddenly have to turn around and say, well, we're over pot committed, right? We, we can't get out of this one. If you're the Broncos, you've got to be looking around saying, hey, we've tried everything we can. Isn't that part of what motivated Carolina to move, make the move to get Sam Darnold? I mean, you got to think at some point that Carolina looked around after trying everything they possibly could after they tried everything humanly possible to acquire something at the quarterback position, they got nothing. So now, a buyer's market, seller's market, I should say, seller's market for the Jets, they're able to get a lot in return because there's nothing else out there. And if you're the Broncos, you're looking around saying, oh no, now what? Again, I will say this loudly so that everybody understands. We're going to pocket the entire Deshaun Watson conversation and put it off to the side. I'm going to do with the Deshaun Watson conversation what the NFL should be doing right now, which is put it on the exempt list. Right, I'm, going to, I'm going to move it over here and say there are real-life factors far more important than, than football. So as long as those real-life factors far more important than football are still being investigated and still need to play out, there is not a single team in the league that can afford to make it a, 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 a trade. There's not a single team in the league that can afford to even inquire about it. And there's not a single team in the league that can afford to wait to see what happens because we have no idea what the timeline will be for all of this to play out. The number one most important thing for Deshaun Watson is that ultimately through all of this, as 22 people have now made accusations of sexual assault, as as there is 22 accusations facing him, the number one most important thing is that this case be resolved in the right way for everybody involved. That's number one most important. So we are going to exempt Deshaun Watson from this situation. Now, if you're a Broncos fan, you're looking around and saying, I don't want to go in with Drew Locke. Well, I understand that. When you've got the weapons the Broncos have, and you play in a division where you're going to be facing Patrick Mahomes and likely Justin Herbert. I I only say likely because it's one year for Justin Herbert. But one year of great Justin Herbert is enough to make everybody say, okay, Okay, absolutely. We need to be aggressive in figuring out how to compete. If you're the Broncos right now, going into this season, you are clearly aware that you are competing with my beloved Raiders to be the third best team in the division at best. If you go up, you trade for a quarterback, you may change that entire conversation. 
Drew Locke is holding the Broncos back. That's why I think they need to be aggressive. That being said, I could use the same argument in many ways for the Bears. And we have to apply some sense of, let's say, panic to coach in front office situation. Now, I said it earlier. When you draft wrong at the quarterback position, what happens? It sets your organization back. It sets your organization back because you have to press the reset button. The Bears haven't pressed the reset button yet. They're like, you know, when you were a kid and you were playing a Nintendo game, and you were just going and going and going. And you knew that at some point you were going to quit this game. You were just going to turn the press the power button because you were not going to lose, right? You're, that's what's happening right now for the Bears. They're, they know that at some point they're going to have to press the reset button and it's all going to go down in flames. But they are trying everything they can to stay into this game as long as humanly possible. So if you're the Bears, are you desperate enough to try and move up? Can you afford to move up? These are the conversations that have to be happening because the fourth the fourth pick overall is going to be is going to leave a quarterback available. There's no way at this point that you are if you're Atlanta that you aren't tempted, at least tempted to think about the possibility of drafting a quarterback because it may set up your future. But does that do the best that you could possibly do for Matt Ryan? I'd argue no. Again, I'd argue the best thing you can do is take a great player. Now, if you can move down a little bit in the draft and still take that player, that's an incredible way to get it done. The one thing I would caution everybody is to remember is that a lot of teams want to move down and not many teams are capable of actually getting it done because when more teams want to move down than teams that want to move up, you don't get the opportunity to to shift around the way you would hope in the draft. In the meantime, I believe the real drama is going to start at four because the first three picks are going to fly off the board in the NFL draft, and that's part of why we'll be watching. Again, you can get all your draft content here, and selfishly, you can also check out the digital streams. I know some people involved in those shows, too. We'll give you updated with more information as it continues to unfold that you can know about our three days of draft coverage. In the meantime, coming up next on Spain & Fitz, we will talk to a national champion newly crowned. We'll do that next. Spain & Fitz, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I got to admit, I smile ear to ear every time I hear that because Chennai, I mean, I think the entire campus of ESPN is buzzing for what this means for Chennai Ogumake just being around the program. And as uh, one of my close friends, I, just, I think we could hear her screaming from across the country as Stanford wins a national championship on Sunday in an incredible game that was absolutely wall-to-wall. We have covered the women's tournament on this show throughout. I would argue that the women's tournament gave us more excitement than the men's tournament this year. It has been amazing. So, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. I'm going to head right over to the Goodyear hotline where we are joined by a national champion. Stanford guard Anna Wilson joins us there. Uh, Anna, thank you so much for the time i appreciate you joining us congratulations you are a national champion at what point does it sort of set in after all the work and the weirdness of a COVID 19 season and everything you guys went through that you won it yeah um thank you for having me first of all um i think that uh, you know i've been talking to my teammates about it and for us like it, it still hasn't quite set in yet um you know all the excitement that's surrounded the past few days um, after, you know, winning the national championship, it, it's so surreal. And, you know, I'm not really sure when it's going to kick in, but being back here on campus, uh, we had a parade yesterday and that was probably one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of, um, being here at Stanford. And I, I think that that moment, um, was also kind of like, okay, this really, really did happen. Anna was a co-defensive player of the year in the Pac-12 this season and uh, named the Pac-12 All-Defensive Team. Uh, you obviously had a huge defensive game in the championship. Walk me through the last play. Like, what was going through your mind? 
Yeah, um, I think for us, um, you know, we scout a lot. Um, and obviously, we, you know, throughout the game, uh, Ari, and throughout the tournament, Ari, uh, Ari was having such a, um, a great tournament. And we knew that she was going to take the last shot. Um, and so I think for, for me, uh, playing defense on her, um, and, and, um, you know, Cam and, and Lexi, uh, we were surrounding her that throughout the last seconds of that. Um, I think it was really just like, you know, don't allow her to go to the basket. Um, and then, um, when we felt like she was about to take the shot, um, you know, everyone kind of get a hand in her face. And so, um, so that's kind of like what was kind of going through my mind in those last seconds was just, you know, try not to allow her to get to the basket. Well, I mean, let's be real. We just saw the night before in the men's game, like a crazy half court shot that obviously yeah. sent a team to the finals. So when that when that ball's in the air, you're holding your breath. Like, how are you watching that in that moment? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know throughout our entire season, uh, we faced a lot of challenges and a lot of adversity. And then throughout the tournament, um, you know, the first few games were, were real uh, smooth sailing, and then the last three, uh, you know, were real close. Um, and we also had to come back against Louisville, and so. Um, at that point, it was kind of like, you know, this is our game um, and it's kind of destined, you know, for this to happen this way. Just we kind of through all the things we've been through and everything. And, uh, you know, obviously watching it, it's like, dang, that's that's really close, um, especially since she was like barely looking at the basket and still heaved it up there and got close to it. So, um, yeah. Look back on the season for me. We're talking to Anna Wilson uh, from Stanford. Uh, you know, we talked a lot on the men's side, too, about the, the Pac-12 and the difficulties in practice and, and just giving any sort of rhythm in a basketball season. It's the same for you guys. When you when you look back on the season, what was the toughest part of trying to get a team ready in a COVID environment? Um, you know, we didn't spend a lot of the spring or summer together. Um you know, living in uh, or Stanford being in S- Santa Clara County uh, is one of the strictest counties in the country. And so um, we didn't have a lot of time together. Um, but what we did was, you know, have a lot of Zoom sessions and, and talk to each other as much as possible and to still grow that chemistry. And then, you know, our advantage was that we are literally around each other every single day for six months straight. And so um, I think that that really helped us. Um, and it, it really helped us um, in such a way that, you know, the things that we lacked in terms of, you know, being around each other physically, um, you know, for, for a large uh, amount of time, it, it kind of um, took care of that. And um, I think that the biggest challenge too was also just like us, you know, having to go from different gyms to different gyms all the time and, and not having a, a home really for, for quite a while. Yeah, and that's always crazy to me. And like, I lived a lot of my life on a tour bus. And in 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 the music world, after a few months on the tour bus, you kind of want to murder everybody around you. Like, how do you sort of maintain that camaraderie in a positive set when you're all together? It's got to get a little maddening. Yeah, well, fortunately, that never happened. Um, which is you know crazy to say for a group of girls being around each other all the time. Um, but I, I think that uh, what was really awesome was. Uh, in the midst of traveling and, and all of these things are kind of going on. I think that we all had this common, um, this common story of just like, you know, we're not around our families. Um, you know, the world's kind of going through all of this stuff, but we're together. Um, and also our coaches really try to make everything as fun as possible. You know, if, it, if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. And so, um, that's that's pretty much like what took care of it was just trying to have fun with with every little thing that we were doing, um, and so it, it really worked out for the best. We're talking to Stanford guard Anna Wilson on Spain and Fitz ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. I watched a great feature 
on YouTube that Stanford did talking about your other passion, photography. And obviously you went through this crazy run. Did you have the chance to really capture any of those moments on film? Yeah, so I do film. I also do some digital uh, photography. I'm doing a lot of digital black and white photography right now as well. Um, and I, I actually carried around disposable cameras um, for the entire postseason. Um, and then I, I used my digital camera throughout the regular season to take photos um, when we were traveling and stuff like that, um, and obviously my phone. But um, I have disposable cameras uh, from the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament, and so I'm really excited to develop those. Um, and see what those look like. Are you going to put some sort of a project out to sort of like chronicle the the journey? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to post a lot of those a lot of those pictures. Um, of course, like you know, the thing the cool thing about disposable cameras is you can't see the images, right? And so um, it's kind of like our season in the sense that you know you were kind of going through the season, not really knowing what it's like, uh, not really knowing how it's going to end. You know, uh, in the beginning of our season, we weren't sure if it was going to if it was going to last, and so. Um, that's a really cool thing about disposable cameras and, and the relationship between the season and disposable camera. So I'm really excited to see what, what comes from it. We're talking to Stanford guard Anna Wilson. Obviously, I mentioned it earlier, Chanae, a good friend, and we've been listening to her just yell and scream about this championship. Uh, <laughs> there are so many amazing players that have come from Stanford through all of the years that didn't get the chance to win a championship. So when you see the rejoicing and what it means to the alumni that passed through, like what's that mean to you guys? Um. You know, we, we know that it takes a village um, and it, it takes, uh, you know, everyone around you to do something really great. And so we know it's not just our team who won a national championship. It's the people that, that came before us. Um, and they have been a, um, a, a kind of a lighting the path for us, you know, this entire way. We know that um, special teams before us haven't, haven't been able to accomplish maybe a, a national championship, but they accomplished so much as well. Um, and the legacy that they left behind really allowed us to embrace um, how special our team was and to really look forward to, um, you know, being together as a team. And, you know, Tart always talks about sisterhood and everything like that. And so um, I think that we really bought into that this season. And so um, having that framework and that perspective on, on um, togetherness and unity and everything like that really helped us um, succeed this season. All right. I can only imagine my house. There's a substantial amount of trash talking at the holidays. You happen to have a very successful brother as well, Russ. So when you get into the uh, holidays, like what's the championship trash talk now? I mean, you, you've got this one that you can hold over everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, for for me, honestly, uh, our, our family doesn't do too much trash talking. Um, obviously, you've probably seen uh, my brother in the stands. You know, He's probably my biggest cheerleader ever. Um, and so, um, I, I think for, for me, he, he might not want to play one-on-one anymore or something <laughs> of that sort, but, but, um, yeah, it, it's just, um, it's really cool to accomplish something like that with, with my family in the stands, considering that the whole season, um, you know, we didn't have any fans at all. Um, and so it was something really cool to accomplish and, uh, especially with this team in front of uh, all of our families. And I don't think there could be a more difficult year to win a championship in, and what you guys did throughout the entire run yeah. is truly incredible. I appreciate you joining us. I can't say congratulations loud enough. This is really incredible <laughs> for you, and I, I really appreciate your time. Congratulations, celebrate galore, and thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Stanford guard Anna Wilson, uh, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. We're just getting started breaking down national championships because one of my buddies happens to be an ESPN college basketball analyst and is convinced Baylor is the best men's team ever. I'll tell you why next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Sarah getting a little much-needed R&R. Much-deserved. One guy not getting any R&R right now because he is just in demand. My guy, ESPN college basketball analyst King McClure, joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. And look, last night on the digital show that uh, I was working on, instead of being on Spain and Fitz, we were getting everybody ready for the national championship game. And, you know, I may or may not have picked both teams throughout the course of it just to ensure that I can get some free swag. But I made sure to tell King that I was all in on Baylor because that means I'm going to get something, right? Let's start with the important thing, King. Like, what are my odds here on getting some Baylor swag at this point that says Natty's on it? Come on. Look, man, as soon as I come down, come back down to, to Connecticut, I got you. Oh, look at that. See, that's, he's a powerful, powerful man. He's got connections everywhere. But I, my mind was a little blown because King is not a hot take artist at all. But in King, let's be fair, you went to, uh, you went to Gonzaga. You went to Baylor. Your <laughs> career ended in a loss to Gonzaga. So there may have been a little bit of a moment last night where you, you're watching with a little fired-up energy. But you have the opinion that Baylor has now cemented themselves as possibly the greatest team of all time? Explain yourself, sir. Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is going into the game. You heard all the talk about Gonzaga being potentially the greatest team ever, going being undefeated, uh, running their way through the tournament well. My thing is on that. Number one, they did not play the same schedule that Baylor played. Number two, Baylor had a 21-day COVID pause. A lot of people said, I saw someone on Twitter that said that they were wrestling. No. For anybody that knows anything about sports, there's no rest break for 21 days. That's called you sitting down, not doing anything. That is very hard to recover from. So if you to recover, and then you play Iowa State, beat them barely, then you beat, lose, lose to Kansas, which I think is a fluke game. I think if they had no COVID pause, they're winning that game. The only true game they lost was Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament. So I think that right there, they should only have one loss. Then they go through the tournament. Then they beat a five seed in Villanova, a four seed in uh, – in, uh, who was that? Who was that? Who was that? Uh, I'll, I'll pull this here. I'll pull this capture. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, they have five seed in Villanova, I think a four seed in um, – Anyway, no, they didn't play a four seed. They played a three seed in Arkansas, two seed in Houston, and a one seed in Gonzaga, and none of the games were close. They ran through the tournament. They should really only have one loss on their schedule in one of the hardest conferences in college basketball. I think you can honestly put this Baylor team up there in as top five to top ten teams ever. We're talking to King LeClure, ESPN college basketball analyst uh, on Spain and Fitz. Jason Fitz, fine solo. You know, it's interesting to me because I don't think any of us, like I said last night, I thought it'd be a high-scoring good game. It was not a good game. I mean, Baylor absolutely came out from the beginning, and they were the bigger, faster, more aggressive team. Realistically, what what did we all miss about this matchup to not see that it would be a blowout? Um, the fact that Gonzaga has not seen anything like Baylor. Yes, they played some good teams, but they have not played a team like Baylor. I guess the closest thing that they played was West Virginia, but West Virginia just isn't Baylor. I mean, the fact that you have three elite-level guards that can score at all three levels, then turn around and pick you up 94 feet, defend you, 
You haven't seen that. They haven't seen that. They kept talking about Jalen Suggs. I was like, listen, Jalen Suggs is really talented, deserves everything he's getting, but he has not seen Davion Mitchell on that defensive end. I've seen it firsthand, and trust me, that's not an easy task, not an easy matchup by by any means. I think that right there, and then Baylor's physicality. I think the physicality, I was talking to some of the Baylor players after the game, uh, potentially uh, Flo Thamba specifically, Flo Thamba and Mark Vidal, and they kept saying, hey, we got tired of hearing that Drew Timmy this, Drew Timmy that. Uh, Baylor's interior is too weak. Uh, they will not be able to guard Drew Timmy or, Baylor, or Gonzaga's post players. They said they use as extra motivation. You can tell. They absolutely dogged Gonzaga down low when it came to rebounding. Mark Battle had eight offensive rebounds. Gonzaga had five offensive rebounds as a team. That right there is the story of the game. Talking to King McCurry, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. I, I saw you this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zub in the morning show here. And Jay Will asked you a really tough question uh, about what you knew and were aware of in Baylor's past as you were being recruited. I, I, I want to go there again and just ask sort of what, what you knew. When you came to Baylor's campus, what was your understanding of the culture at Baylor? Uh, when I came to Baylor's campus, uh, the, the, what my, my understanding was uh, that all I knew was that we were a good basketball team. Like, I didn't really know anything about um, the murders that happened. I didn't know anything about the branch, the Bidian. I didn't know anything about any of that. Um, so I got there. Then we started learning more about the, the history of the program. And then when you learn more, I feel like it kind of makes you appreciate everything that you do and appreciate uh, everything that you're achieving even more. I mean, learning that Coach Drew took the program after there was a murder, after there was one of the players murdered his teammate. Uh, and then now it's a national championship program. Like understanding that nobody else wanted this job in America, but Coach Drew took it. And then he said he's going to win national championship, and he did it. Um, I didn't really know much coming in. I just knew all, all the stuff about basketball. Uh, but now that I know a lot more, and I watched Waco on Netflix, and that was pretty interesting. So I just learned about the Branch Davidian like so, two months ago. I mean, uh, but that, and, and that <laughs> no, but that that raises a real question for me that I think is interesting because now you've got Coach Drew that's come in. You're right; he's built it. It's one of the most sensational stories we've seen in college basketball, right? So, how does Baylor, yeah. in your mind, sort of embrace this new chapter of what could be sustained greatness while still acknowledging its past? You know, I think I think that Baylor. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me, is Baylor like a new, like, blue blood? And I'm like, no. Baylor's different because of, of, of what we do and how we do it. Um, it's a sense of a lot of times you look at blue blood, you look at, like, one and done, the whole one and done uh, culture. And that's not how we do it at Baylor. I mean, with Baylor, it's more so we get guys who have a chip on their shoulder who's going to stay for about two or three years to really learn the system, learn how to play, learn how to be selfless, learn how to care about others. Um, I think more so you probably see Baylor turn into like the next Villanova. I mean, to be honest, uh, Jay Wright has a hell of a program and he's built a culture, he's built a winning culture, which is key. And he has those guys uh, every year achieving a certain level of excellence. And I think that is what Coach Drew is starting to, is starting to get now. It, it's going to be a certain level of excellence, certain thing that you're going to see from Baylor every single year that Baylor steps on that court. And I think we're starting to, become the next Villanova in a sense. 
King, you know I love you, man, and you do great work. And, you know, we're, we're happy to have you as part of the CSPN family, but I'm really happy for you last night. You helped create part of what we saw as a national championship, and I'm really proud for the guys that you know and for everything that you were a part of building there, man. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on. Celebrate it, even though it's not the, what you, you know, we all know you wanted to get yours, but in some ways you still <laughs> did, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Appreciate the fix. King LaCour, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, brought to you by Wendy's, proud sponsor of the 2021 John R. Wooden Men's and Women's Player of the Year. And, you know, I thought it was important to have King's context because uh, he is part of what built this new chapter at Baylor. And there is a new chapter at Baylor. We don't ever need to forget what happened in the past and what has defined Baylor in the past. But at the same time, we can allow Baylor to have a future. There's a fine line to walk in any of these instances in, is in, in, in acknowledging what has happened and also acknowledging what is to come. Drew, Scott Drew has built something absolutely great and beautiful at Baylor right now, and I hope for everybody that's given so much that they're able to sustain that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. All right, we're going to get into changing the gears a little bit. Baseball season is underwear, and I've underway, not underwear. Good Lord. And I got questions. ESPN Major League Baseball insider Tim Kirkson is going to join us next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I know, I know. We're in full draft mode. We've got champions that are being crowned in college basketball. And I've got some issues with the NBA 25 under 25 that I'm going to get to in just a few minutes. But it is baseball season and I have questions I need answered. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You know you want to. Wherever you get your podcast, you get some exclusive content out there. We have a little bit of fun. We say bad words. Uh, it's presented by Progressive Insurance. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Speaking of guests, Tim Kirkson going to give us the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contracts, no compromise. All right, Tim, I appreciate you having us on. And we, we always ask you questions that have nothing to do with the game actually being played on the field, and we are not going to do that. Baseball season is here, and I need you to make me smart. So let's start with the team that's not having a good start. That would be the A's. What's going wrong with Oakland that they're getting absolutely bashed? See what I did there? By everybody. Well, they ran into the wrong team to start, the Astros, who had their number in the playoffs last year and then outscored them by 26 runs in the first four games of the season. Their starting pitching, which is potentially really good, hasn't been very good at all. We know they're a really good offensive club, but they haven't hit at all so far. They've had some injuries. You look at their club, it's not the same outfield you expect it to be. And the problem is the Angels are much better already than people thought. The Astros already are much better than people thought. And those are two teams that are the A's are going to have to run with, and they're already four games behind both of those teams. So uh, they better get this together quickly or else they're going to be in some trouble. Well, and it's curious to me because early in the season, I mean, we're coming off of such a strange baseball season, and now we get into the marathon again, right? What's the adjustment like for teams coming into this season knowing that been a long time since they had to go through this sort of a marathon. It's a huge challenge and a huge adjustment, but especially with the way you use your pitching. So we all better get used to the fact that we're going to see five and six pitchers virtually every game. I mean, Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. And yesterday he was great again, but he only threw 77 pitches and then they took him out. They had to. He was a little bit tired. He hadn't pitched in 10 days because of COVID. And these pitchers today, 
are such max effort guys that we just can't expect them to go 110 pitches anymore. Certainly not back-to-back. 70, 80, 90, and then they're they're flying. I mean, Garrett Cole, 90 pitches on opening day. That's about all he's going to go tonight, too. So that's what we have to monitor is how many pitches are our starters going to go and are we going to bury all of our bullpens by June and it completely exhaust him? Not to mention JT Real Muto, the best catcher in the game, unbelievably athletic and durable, got a day off the third day into the season just to keep him <laughs> rested. This is what we should all get used to. He's Tim Kirkton. You're listening to Spain and Fitz. Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, trying to figure out what to make of the Nat situation, obviously. I mean, you got to get on the field before we know anything to expect. Now there's 10 players on the IL like as a team, I mean, how does this impact the early portion of their season? Well, it's not just 10 guys on the IL. It's 10 critical guys on the <laughs> IL. This is five everyday players, relievers, starters, everybody else. I mean, they they had to bring up nine new guys, all of whom should be in the minor leagues right now. And you can say, well, that's not fair. Well, yes, it's not fair, but this is just the way we have to adjust during COVID times. So, and again, they're in a ridiculously difficult division. The Phillies are already 4-0. The Nationals haven't played a game until today. And, and already they start with nine guys on the injured list because of COVID. So they will really be challenged from day one. We'll see if they can get out of the first few weeks alive. One of the teams to watch, obviously, one of the players to watch, Fernando Tatis, a uh, huge injury. Uh, so what's the impact for them as they try and figure out how to get through that? Well, they first have to figure out exactly how badly he's hurt because right. if he needs surgery, he's going to miss the entire season. And then you have to figure out what to do there. So they're hoping since he's had the separated shoulder before, it pops out, it pops back in. But this is the second time it's happened this spring. This is very troublesome. Of course, if he's out for the year, they're not close to the team that we thought they would be, even though they have Manny Machado, who could easily slide over from third base and do a nice job at shortstop. But it's Fernando Tatis Jr. The guy is as dynamic a player as there is, and he's making all that money, and it's not the first time he's gotten hurt. And not to mention, this would be an enormous blow for baseball if he's out for a long time because we all love to watch him play. I mean, stick with the money for a second because they've spent a ton of pay- payroll on young stars that they're going to build around. So how do you balance the money you spent wanting immediate return versus understanding that that money is going to be spent for several years? So you got to be patient. In the yes, you can't rush him back because and he's going to need surgery eventually. If he doesn't get it right away, he's going to need it after the season. But this is the tricky part, Jason, about baseball. It's so easy to get hurt playing this sport. And given the skill required to play this sport, if you break a finger or or break a wrist, you can't play this game. If you can't run, you can't play this game. And if you're a shortstop with a separated shoulder, you're never playing this game. So that's the big problem is you just paid him all this money and you want him out on the field, but you need him healthy as long as you can so you can't push him now. It's Spain and Fitz. Jason Fitz riding solo, talking to the great Tim Kirchin. Uh, all right, so walk me back a little bit on this because it's easy to get hyped on whatever we see right now. But the Tigers have a rookie in Akil Badu that everybody is just – he's a phenom, right? Is this sustainable in your mind? Should we have seen this coming from him? 
No, we never see stuff like this. But, Jason, that's the best part about the game is these people, your mean Mercedes, Akil Badu, come out of nowhere and people are slapping their foreheads like, who is this guy? He's a Rule 5 player. He's never played above A ball. He's 22 years old. He was in the twin system. He hits a homer on the first pitch he's ever sees in the big leagues. He's the first Tiger ever to hit a homer in his first two games. He's the first player ever to hit two homers in his first two games out of the number nine spot, and then today he gets a walk-off hit. This is why baseball is so great. Nobody comes out of the G League in the NBA and does stuff like this in their first three NBA games. Nobody does stuff that Michael Jordan, Will Chamberlain, LeBron James have never done, and you've never even heard of the guy. But this happens in baseball, and that's why it's such a beautiful game. How how big an impact? Because in the NFL side, they always say, hey, you got to get tape on a guy. Once you get more tape on him, you know his tendencies. Well, they're still learning his tendencies to your point. So how much will that impact sort of what we should expect in in the way he plays moving forward? Well, absolutely. This is what baseball is so good at with all its numbers. As soon as they identify, hey, the numbers say this guy, like Randy Rosarena, the great guy from October last year who crushed every fastball up. The Marlins in the first series of the season like didn't throw one fastball up in the strike zone because they know now that that's the pitch that he especially crushes. So Badu and all these other young guys who have just gotten a taste, they all know, well, he can hit that ball down and in. Maybe we should stay away from him. That's the adjustment our young players and all players have to make. Certainly not a new name to everybody. Shohei Otani comes out and we've all been talking about his performance early on, but realistically, when you look at what he is going to mean moving forward in this season, I mean, is this something that we should continue to expect from him? Well, I'm not sure we should expect him to throw eight pitches at 100 (laughs) miles an hour and hit the two hardest hit balls of the game and hit a ball 450 feet in, in a game multiple times this year. If he does, we'll all throw up our hands. But the point is... He is a really good pitcher who's got ridiculous stuff. He's the only one in the big leagues now, if not the only one in the history of the big leagues, that can hit a ball 100 miles an hour, hit a ball that is pitched 100 miles an hour, and throw 100 miles an hour. There's never been anybody like him. But health is the big thing. Can they keep him healthy enough to pitch? Can they get enough at-bats for him without getting him hurt? I think as long as he could do both, you let him do both as long as he can because he is a weapon in two different ways. What I love about you, Tim, is that you're fair and, and reasonable in your analysis of things. I need your help in your analysis of the Red Sox new uniforms. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I understand what they're doing. Why change a great thing? What's your reaction to the new fit? Well, we put Coke bottles on the top of the wall in left field. So once we did that, I think all bets were off. Look, they're the Red Sox. They've been the Red Sox for a million years, and it just doesn't look right. It just doesn't seem right. But And I'm 64 years old, so I'm used to having things done a certain way. But I, I've had to make enormous adjustments here with the names of ballparks being – I can't even understand what it means instead of yeah. – so I'm going to look at the Red Sox uniforms and say this is how it works today, and I, I'm going to shake my head, but I'm going to go along with it because I don't have any other choice. Yeah, at the end of the day, somebody's going to make a bunch of money on it. Tim, I appreciate your updates on everything, your expertise. It always means the world. Have a great call tonight. Thank you so much for joining Thanks. us. Thanks. Can't wait to see the game tonight. Woo. As always, Tim will be doing great work. I uh, want to get you updated some breaking news. Pedro's, uh, uh, Pedro's, good lord. The Padres have said Fernando Tatis Jr.'s left soldier is sold. Hmm. 
you know, we're just going to try this all again. Breaking news. The Padres have said Fernando Tatis Jr.'s left shoulder is non-surgical. They'll put him on the IL with the hope he can return in as quickly as 10 days. It's a slight labrum tear consistent with a big word that I can't say. No inflammation. Uh, they're calling it being safe. So it's important to, to know at this point it looks like Where's they're going to be safe. Need her? I know. I mean, the sublet, sublet, yeah, right? I'm not even going to try it. So the good news is for Padres fans, it looks like they're going to be safe here, and that's the important thing. All right, coming up next, NBA 25 under 25, they've ranked it. Our ESPN insiders have told you young stars ranked by their future potential. And what it tells you is there is a massive issue in the NBA. I'll tell you what it is next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. John, Jay, Will, and Zubin are going to give you their list in the morning. You're not going to want to miss it because right now on the ESPN Plus site, you can check out what our NBA insiders have decided. When it comes to who the NBA's best 25 under 25 are, the ranking of the young stars by future potential. The problem is the list is spectacular and it tells you how much incredible young talent there is in the association, but it doesn't equal wins. And that's a problem I don't know how the NBA can fix. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And in just a few minutes, we'll be joined by ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks. I'm going to ask Bobby about this because let's get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. When you look on ESPN Plus right now, you can find the list, according to our NBA insiders, of the NBA's best 25 under 25. And this is ranked by future potential. Luka Doncic, not surprisingly, number one on that list. Zion Williamson, number two on the list. LaMelo with Charlotte, already number three on the list. Donovan Mitchell at four. Jason Tatum at five. I look at this list and I see spectacular talent. I see video game talent. I see the type of players that make me feel like the future of the NBA looks brighter than ever. The problem is, they're not winning games. See, this is the disconnect right now. If you're an NFL fan and you're prepped for, you're hyped for the draft. We've been talking all month about the draft, right? We have been getting you ready for the draft. We're going to keep getting you ready for the draft. If you're a Cincinnati fan, you went into the draft last year knowing your franchise is just garbage. Nothing's going your way. You can't win football games, but you got Joe Burrow. You got Joe Burrow. You got hope. All of a sudden, on a roster of 53 with 22 starters, you got hope from one player coming in. What I can't make sense of is what you're supposed to do if you're an NBA fan and you're saying, we got Zion, we got Zion, and we might make the playoffs? Like, that's not hope for the best young player in the game or the second best young player if you take this list by future potential. Look at these players. Luka Doncic has so much greatness. It is fun to watch him play the game in ways that we haven't seen young guys play the game. I mean, Luka is doing things in the NBA that we said he couldn't do to the NBA players, and we tried to minimize his success in Europe, saying, oh, that's not going to translate. never translates to the NBA game. It has. It has translated. Is Dallas great because of it? Nope. I mean, is New Orleans great because of Zion? Nope. Are the Grizzlies great because of Ja? I love Ja Morant. Are the Grizzlies great because of Ja? No. What do you do when you have all this young talent, all of these great young players, but you still aren't even really in the playoff conversation? Cliff, I know, works on the show. Cliff, big NBA fan. Cliff, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me what I'm missing. At the same time, has has the Bengals won anything since Joe Burrow's gotten there too? Have the Chargers accomplished anything since Justin Herbert's gotten there? You have hope, right? 
Like all these players, all these stars are still young, so you still have hope to build off of. The only the only difference in the NBA to me is like the NBA is very much destination based, right? Look at LA, look at Brooklyn, look at like when I'm saying the Clippers, look at the Warriors, look at the look at the Nets, right? There those are all great locations to play at. I think that's the problem is where the markets kind of skew where the stars want to play at. Well, and that's a fair point, but then like walk me through what it's like to be a Pelicans fan because here you are sitting here saying we lost AD, but don't worry. We're going to build something around Zion. Have we seen anything build? I mean, and, and I know it's early, but when you have the best player in the game, I mean, we believe, well, not we, me, but most of society believes that simply by adding Trevor Lawrence to the Jags, they are going to become a much better football team on a roster of 22. Uh, Zion Williamson is far more transcendent than Trevor Lawrence is in his sport, right? Zion Williamson is more of a once-in-a-generational player than Trevor Lawrence is, and that doesn't make them immediately better. I mean, uh, Andrew Luck did turn around and have very quick success. Yes, you have to build pieces around it. You have to find other players around it. But in the NBA, it feels like there's this impossible gap between the teams that are absolute super teams, the Nets, the Lakers, that are out there with their absolutely incredible epic players, and then the Pelicans who are over here saying, yeah, we got we got Zion, and, and the Pelicans have more than Zion, and it's still not winning them games. There's, but there, there's not going to be hope for right now just for the simple fact that how good LeBron James and Kevin Durant are on the Lakers and are on the Nets, and they're playing with other top five players. Right now, Zion's kind of just playing out there. I don't know. Who's the second? Who would you say is the second best friend of the Pelicans? <laughs> like, it might be Lonzo Ball, for God's sakes. Yeah, like, well, the way Lonzo's playing this yeah, year, it and, might and, be, and yeah. Don't get me wrong. Lonzo Ball is very good, but Lonzo Ball is not Anthony Davis. Lonzo Ball is not James Harden. Lonzo Ball is not Kyrie Irving. It's going to take time. Zion's only 20 years old. You still you, you have him locked in for another six years or so, so you have to figure it out within that time frame. But like six off. years, so like that's a long time for me to try and develop hope over Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. We're talking about the NBA twenty five under twenty five rising uh, talents in the league, and and you know you're you're a seventy sixers fan. Yes, uh, Ben Simmons is number seven on this list, and right. I keep looking at Simmons and Embiid, and we talk about it every year. But it's going to take Simmons and Embiid and an entire village of random NBA players that want to come play with him to actually have any real shot at the championship. What's the point? Well, right now the Sixers are in first place, I'll say, Jason, but at the same time, it's like you free agency in the NBA is just so much different and like the the impact that star players have where there's so much, there's how do I, how do I say this? Like the star players aggregate more closely together and like the talent isn't as widespread as it is in the NFL. So that's where you run into an issue with like Okay, super team this versus development here. And that's a, but that's the problem. I mean, you're absolutely right. There is a top heavy issue in the NBA. And when I look at it and I say, you're right, 76ers in first place. I think most of us, if we had to bet our house on it at this point, would bet the house on the Nets, not the 76ers moving forward. But the problem is the super team thing isn't going anywhere. So basically, what we're going to ask of the, you know, we, we, we make jokes about the G League. I think about half the NBA has the opportunity to be the G League at this point when we're going to basically say, hey, New Orleans, go out there, do your best. It's cute. See what you can do. But eventually, if Zion wants to win, he's going to go somewhere else. Like, we presume the same, we presumed, I should say, the same with Giannis, that if he really wanted to compete for a championship, he's going to have to leave Milwaukee. Like, that's not a, that's a broken system for the NBA. My apologies to Brandon Ingram, too. He's a second. Uh, Brandon Ingram, yeah. Sorry about that. But you think about Brandon Ingram, Zion, and, and Lonzo, like, like, those are three high picks. Well, Brandon Ingram, 24. Alonzo, 22, 23. Zion, 20. 
And all with all of that, development. but they, by the time they develop, they'll go play somewhere else. That's straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. Look, I'm just getting the, the, the tip of the iceberg on this. I want to get some expertise on this problem and how it gets fixed. So next up on Spain and Fitz, one of my favorite front office insiders will join us to figure out if I've got a theory that's working here and how the NBA will fix it moving forward. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, the debate raged on all the way through the break as we continue to try and figure out what it means that the NBA has so many incredible players that are under 25, yet it's not leading to wins on the court for their team. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo, and I head over to the Goodyear hotline. I need a little expertise as I try and break all this down and figure it out. So we're joined now by our buddy ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks. And Bobby, a lot of times I rely on you to make me smarter. So I need you to make me smarter <laughs> in trying to figure this out. Because I'm looking at the NBA uh, 25 under 25 ranking young stars by future potential. And I see names like Luca and Zion and LaMelo. All of these one name names, right? Like this is like the shares of the current NF- uh, NBA. Like all of these guys are tremendous players. But what really hits me is I'm seeing a t- ton of talent that is 25 or younger it's not resulting in wins so like where does the hope come from if you're a fan of one of these teams that realizes you have one of the best young players in the league but all that means is you might if you're lucky get to fight for a play-in opportunity to make the playoffs no i mean that's a good point i mean certainly you know zion's number two on that list and you know i think we even have um you know darren fox i think is at six i want to say um he's up there in the top six or seven and you know, that Sacramento team is, I don't know if they are going to make the play-in. And, um, and if they do, it's going to be by default. And you're probably saying, well, how does a guy make top six or top seven? And they're going to be in the lottery for the, you know, fourth straight year. And that's that was the challenge, Jason, with doing this list. And, you know, the list was done with myself and Kevin Pelton and, and Mike Schmitz. And I, I think what happened today, and it, it was a debate that is still going on as we speak, is that people look at the list and they look at what people have done so far, and we looked at it kind of where they're going to be two or three years from now. And, yeah, I mean, the, 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 how Fox has played and, and De'Aaron has had a tremendous year, it's basically translated into the same results we've seen in the past in, in Sacramento, a team that's below 500. And, you know, I think some of it has to do a little bit with the supporting cast and, you know, Marvin Bagley certainly not being healthy. Um, you know, we get picked in the top two ahead of, you know, a guy like Luca and a guy ahead of Trey Young. Um, you are supposed to kind of get your team into that into that next phase, which is a, a playoff team. But, um, but, yeah, you hit it right on the hand. A lot of these players that are on that list um, are on teams that are um, – you know, that are probably not going to make the playoffs. It's, it's such a strange mindset for me because I'll make the NFL comparison again. Like, you know, if you're the Bengals, you haven't necessarily had a very good run, but you get Joe Burrow as your quarterback, and all of a sudden the fans feel like there's this tremendous hope. Hey, we got the number one pick in the draft. Things are about to get better. If you're a Pelicans fan, you looked at it and said, no matter what happened with AD, we have Zion, and you have Ingram, and you have the other ball. Like, you have t- young, talented players. Why does a group of young, talented players not equate to more wins? Yeah, and I, and it's funny. I put a graphic up earlier about an hour ago, and I you know we, there's um, there's three players on New Orleans. Um, you mentioned them: Zion, Brandon Ingram, and, and Lonzo Ball. And there's three players on Phoenix um, with DeAndre and Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges who are on this list. Those are the only teams, two teams that have three players. And look where one team is and where the other is. And I think you know certainly where Phoenix is and the number two team in the Western Conference. 
think a lot of it has to do with certainly the, the addition of, you know, Chris Paul. I mean, that is when you have a veteran there um, and you can add some veteran pieces with Jay Crowder, that pushes you into the conversation when we're talking about them in Utah and the Lakers, the Clippers, Denver, teams like that, where I think that's what the, the you know, it's great to assemble all this young talent, but it, you have to kind of do the trimming around the edges. And if, you know, you know, Chris Paul is a lot more than trimming around the edges, but it's, it's getting those veteran type players, you know, that have been in big spots before to kind of push you up, you know, push you over the top. We're talking to ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Mark Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. And, you know, it's easy to look at the Lakers and the Nets. We all look at them as the, you know, the big Voltrons, right? They're, they're the super robots that are, uh, you know, it seems like on a collision course. And I would say that the Clippers should be in that same super robot conversation. I'm not saying super team. I'm just saying super robot. So if you're a team that's trying to build the way you mentioned with a Chris Paul type, at what point does your your core become so enticing that a, a vet's going to choose to come there and try and help you grow rather than joining other vets where you have a much easier path to a championship? Yeah, I mean, Denver's a great example. You know, with Denver, you know, they've drafted really well with uh, Jokic and uh, Murray, um, you know, Michael Porter Jr., who's on, the, on number 14 on the list. But you kind of get to a point where, like, how much further can you go with the roster? And then you go out and get a guy like Aaron Gordon, and they've played really good basketball here. But that's that's the hard part is it's, you know, going from a team that's, you know, probably in that, I know that Denver went to the Western Conference Finals, but a team that's probably in that five to seven range and saying, like, what's next? How do we get to a NBA Finals? Um, how do we kind of sustain success? And it's, it's going out, finding those, those veterans that either are bench guys or maybe they're, you know, they were the number two option like Gordon was in Orlando, and now he becomes the fourth option or fifth option in, in Denver. We're talking to ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Mark. So, Bobby, I'm going to put you back in charge of a franchise, and I'm going to give you two ways to grow. You have the opportunity to draft the absolute best young players in the league or sit on the sidelines and just wait until you, those players develop and essentially buy them from other players. That's what's happening, right? Like you, you could just sit back yeah. and say, I'm going to build a super team. What's the smarter way to build a team at this point? Well, I mean, I think the more enjoyable way to do it and uh, is to draft and, and kind of build it organically. But as you've seen it, what's been happening, Jason, is that teams are cherry picking guys who I, we call them those third contract guys. Mm-hmm. So if you're in if you're in Brooklyn, you know you wait until Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving hit free agency and it's their third contract, or you wait until that disgruntled superstar like James Harden is out there, um, and you have enough of the right package of picks and players to go out and, and get them. And that takes you from where the Nets were as a number eight seed. to now we're talking about them as a contending team. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, I, I say we, that's probably skipping the steps as far as how you build it. And if you do that with those three guys, that's, that's probably the way to do it. But that's not for everyone. I mean, that is a rare situation where, you know, I think Brooklyn could do it. Um, but I don't think, Lakers could do it. You know, you saw with the Anthony Davis trade where they, they drafted um, Lonzo and, and Brandon Ingram and all Josh Hart and all those guys. And you get at a point where you've got LeBron and you're saying, well, wait a minute, this isn't good enough. It's good enough maybe for a playoffs, but it's not good enough to get us a championship. And now we've got to find that guy who's that disgruntled player. Um, so me personally, I'd love to build it organically and do it through the draft, maybe like how Portland did it with Lillard and McCollum. But as you're seeing out in Portland, you know, that's a five or six seed. How do you get to where, you know, where those other teams are? It's like this constant conversation, Bobby, about, 
you know, what's more important, uh, being relevant or winning championships? Because it seems like they're two very different approaches business-wise. I mean, at some point, the way that coaching contracts are handled and the way that even front office contracts are handled, uh, is there really the room at this point to, to try and grow slow and low, as they always say in the barbecue world? Like, can you do that anymore in roster construction? Well, even, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, there's, the patience level isn't there. I mean, look at, you know, Brooklyn has, you know, they had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They get in free agency with, you know, cap space a couple of years ago. And then you had a nice young group with, you know, Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, Torian Prince, former, you know, Prince was a trade, but you've got, you know, guys that you drafted and developed. And I thought that Brooklyn as is could have contended for, you know, a championship. But then when you get a, a Kyrie injury or a KD injury, or maybe you go through a little bit of a slump, then you kind of raise your hand and say, well, we're willing to sacrifice these young players that were our own for that next third guy. And um, that's, that's the challenge here. I mean, it's, it's a, if, if the teams that have the patience, you get to a point where, you know, how much more patient, you know, Denver's, as I said, Denver's a great example. You know, they go out and get Aaron Gordon where, you know, maybe if, um, you know, Gary Harris stays healthy, they wouldn't have to do that. All right, Bobby, real quick before we let you, I'm going to do lightning round with you on these. We're just going to go through the top five. I'm going to ask you a very basic question. More likely in five years to be successful on the team they're on or elsewhere. So there or elsewhere. That, that's all we need here. Luka Doncic. Yeah, sure. the Ma- the Luka Doncic. Mavs there or elsewhere? Mavs. All right. Zion with the Pelicans or elsewhere? Uh, Pelicans. Oh, so far so good. LaMelo with the Charlotte or elsewhere? Um... If you're going to ask me seven years from now, I'd say elsewhere. Okay, yeah, got to get through the seven years, right. For anybody that doesn't know, they basically have the rights for seven years. Okay, so that that's the first one that we get the elsewhere. Donovan Mitchell with the Jazz or elsewhere? I would say in, in Utah. I, I think we're in Utah with Donovan. And I'll give you one more. De'Aaron Fox with, with the Kings or elsewhere? I would say elsewhere. And I, and I say, I know Darren just signed that rookie extension. I think you do get to a point where – you know, getting to the lottery every year stinks. <laughs> and yeah. it tests your patience. And I think for the first two years on that rookie deal, yeah, I think in Sacramento. But if that team doesn't turn the corner, I would say elsewhere. Well, and I will say that I hope all of them have tremendous success where they are because that's great for the NBA. Bobby, as always, I appreciate your insights and your expertise, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself at Progressive.com. When I first started at ESPN, I got tremendous advice on how to approach the draft. And it doesn't have to be complicated. I'm going to tell you what it is and why it matters to your favorite team next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. No doubt. The NFL draft, and really every sports draft, is a tremendously inexact science. But there is an approach that seems to make some sense that we all forget when it comes to the draft. And it's something you need to remember on draft day because it will help you. It will help you justify everything your team is doing or not doing. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight again. Over the course of the draft, you'll get three days of great coverage here on ESPN Radio. There's announcements to come soon. I'm just saying you might hear my pretty little voice on some of it. Just stay tuned. Be patient. Also, if you're uh, into the digital shows that I've been a part of the last few years, those will be coming back with some cool announcements there as well. So, as always, ESPN, ABC, and ESPN Radio will have you covered on everything you need to know about the NFL Draft. Now, the Draft is inexact. 
And if you missed any of tonight's show, go back and check it out on the podcast. Jets fans particularly, I gave you some daunting news about the second overall pick. I'm not going to back down from that. It's difficult to get these things right. But it doesn't have to be as complicated as we're making it. Sometimes, as much as you want to go in and say, hey, I just have to find that person. I'm going to reach for this need. Sometimes you just have to do what's right in front of you, which is take the best player. Take the best player in front of you that you know the most about. Think about anything else. Anything else that you do in your life. If you need a contractor, you need somebody to come help you at your house. You need somebody that's going to come in and help you build a roof. Do you go through and say, you know, I really like this guy. I talked to him. He's got a great energy, seems to be really passionate about roofing. And, you know, I really like his potential. Or do you take the, the person that you can look at and say, wow, whole lot of evidence on this. What's the first thing you ask somebody if they're going to remodel your kitchen, right? If somebody's going to remodel your kitchen, you don't say, hey, tell me about your dreams. Tell me about your passion with remodeling kitchens. No, you say, show me some of your work. When I first started at ESPN, it was particularly in the college football world. My first show was on ESPNU with Mike Golick Jr. and our friend Elika Sadegi. And I remember as I was sitting at the ESPNU campus, which is on the same building as the SEC network, talking to some of our great college football analysts. And they said, sometimes all you got to do is go back and watch games. And what happens over the course of the, the draft process is we become so over-analytical to all the nuances that we think we see we fool ourselves. It's no different than if you go to one of those painting classes. You go to one of those like painting classes back when the world was open and the, you, you get like a paint by numbers on how to paint a sunset. Starts really well. By the end of it, you realize that you've overpainted the entire thing because all you did was stare at it and overanalyze it. Sometimes you got to step back. You got to step back and look at the art that you're making. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to step back and watch the film. We live in a world now where what we're all going to do and what you're going to do, thankfully, because it helps our ratings here at ESPN, is you're going to look for immediate analysis on every single pick that's made. I tell you this, in a YouTube world, go back and watch a little. Who's Sam Darnold as the Jets quarterback? Sam Darnold, when he was the Jets quarterback, was very similar to Sam Darnold, the USC quarterback. It's not that different. I had the opportunity today uh, to talk to my buddies at Raider Nation Radio out in Las Vegas, right? And I was asked some questions about that defensive line, particularly Clee Furl, a controversial fourth overall pick for the Raiders a few years ago. Who is Clee Furl as a professional defensive lineman? He's a solid defensive lineman, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, not necessarily a sack artist, but somebody that's in the right spot, does a good job of holding the edge. He's an all-around player that can sometimes move inside. That's who he was at Clemson. I had the opportunity to watch him a lot at Clemson. That's who he was. Guess who he is at the bros? The same thing. Like Basically, what the professional coaching levels are going to do is they're going to take you as a player and probably make you a little bit more of a caricature of that person coming out of college. So now you got to ask yourself, as you go into this draft, what can I do that's simple, not complicated? When I'm on the clock, I'm going to look at my draft board. If I ran a team today, I was just asking Bobby Marks how he would handle things running an NBA team. Well, put your GM hat on. Now, all of a sudden, you're building a roster, but you're not building it on Madden in a way that you're never going to play out the entire franchise. No, you're not building it on Madden where you're just going to abandon it in two or three years. Now you're building a franchise where feeding your family depends on it because that's real for everybody that builds a franchise. Feeding their families depend on the work that they do. Now, how are you going to do it? Particularly, how should you want to do it? If I got to feed my family, if I got to pay for my house with the way I build a roster, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to look for players that have a huge body of evidence, body of work, 
that I've seen do as much as humanly possible. If I need a quarterback this year, if I need a quarterback in this draft where we are obsessed with quarterbacks, boy, I, there is no way I'm putting Zach Wilson any higher than fourth. Not because Zach Wilson isn't a talented player, not because there hasn't been fun in watching him play, but because I got way more proof of concept from Trevor Lawrence. I got way more proof of concept, frankly, from Mac Jones, as much as that's a controversial take. And I got way more proof of concept from Justin Fields. If I look at those three and don't feel like any of them are the quarterback for me, what I'm doing next is I'm saying, what about the other great players in this draft? Why are we so consumed with one position on a football field that we refuse to acknowledge there are great players, not good players, there are great generational players in this year's draft that don't play quarterback? Panay Sewell. That's an offensive lineman name, and I know. I'm not just doing this because I work with Junior all the time. Panay Sewell. Go out and watch Rips. You can find him on YouTube on Panay Sewell. Not last year. He opted out. Two years ago with Oregon. You get to watch Justin Herbert play as the quarterback of Justin Herbert, and you get to watch in Oregon. Panay Sewell absolutely kill people. He is not a good offensive lineman. He is a great offensive lineman. Now, sure, not every great college prospect turns into a great pro. But if you're betting your house on it, what are you taking? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I'm taking proof of concept. And you can look across the board and say this year, proof of concept is more difficult than ever. Why? Because of opt-outs. Mika Parsons, great defensive player for Penn State. Didn't play last year. What effect is that going to have? Gregory Rousseau, great pass rusher from Miami. Great pass rusher. Didn't play last year. What impact does that have? If I run a team... I'm particularly risk-averse. In a world where I may not get a face-to-face with him, in a world where I have to use Zoom to figure out who he is, in a world where I have to trust somebody else's pro day numbers, oh man, opt-outs make it difficult. I don't want a difficult draft. I don't want a complicated draft. I don't want a draft that I have to justify. How many times have you, you're sitting in a draft, you're sitting in a bar watching the draft, and I'm a big believer that the draft is the best event in all of sports every single year. Why? Because 31 out of 32 teams believe their team got incredibly good that through the course of those three days. 31 out of 32 teams believe that they have closed the gap and they're going to win a championship, right? That's what happens. Maybe not this year, but you believe that the process, hope, we talked about it with the NBA, you believe with hope, you got it. We got guys that work on this show that are fans of all sorts of teams. I'm a Raiders fan. Cliff's an Eagles fan. Stosh is a Chiefs fan. You go up and down the board. All of us are going to be watching the draft saying, up, up. We got exactly what we need. That's what we're hoping. What we don't want to have to do is look at our friends and say, wait, 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 wait. Let me explain why I think this is a good pick. There is nothing worse than having to explain your favorite team's draft. And that's what we have to do so often because everybody overanalyzes to the point that they lose common sense. You know what you should want for your favorite football team? You should want your favorite football team to stay true to a board. You should want your favorite football team to stay true to who their scouts, the people that they pay a lot of money to to analyze players, believe are the absolute best players in the draft. And you should want for your favorite football team to get racked and stacked with amazing players. I don't care what position they play. I care about the fact that do they make my team better today? And if your 53 gets better than your biggest rival's 53 because you drafted smarter, congratulations, you're now the Kansas City Chiefs. Remember, the Chiefs haven't whiffed on the first three rounds in the draft in years. Three rounds. Why? Because they let the draft come to them and they do the right thing. They take the best player available. We could all learn 
from that. The best players available after us, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, they'll be hanging out throughout the course of the night. Don't miss it. I'm Jason Fitz. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. This has been Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.